Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 43 of Her Story. This is your host, Cassidy Reed, and today I have guest Sonia Tomes. Sonia is the Vice President of Operations and Orchestra Manager of the Nashville Symphony and founder of Orchestra Careers, which is an online community where students and professionals can gather, building relationships that equip and challenge each other. In this episode, Sonia and I discuss her unique path to her career, a life in arts management and orchestra operations, and how she is mentoring and guiding young professionals in finding their own career path. So I encourage everyone to check out www.orchestracareers.com to check out her site and her organization because I think this is a wonderful opportunity and a great community of folks that are doing a lot of good. So please make sure you check that out and I will see you next Monday. I'm Sonia Thomes, and I'm the Vice President of Operations at the Nashville Symphony. I'm also a mom and a daughter and a friend, and uh, just am so excited to be here with you today. And we're so excited to have you. Um, I love always talking to people that work in arts administration and that sort of thing, the behind the scenes stuff, because that's, you know, normal, not normally things that you just readily see available to you. And so I always find um, anybody's work in arts management and that sort of field to be so interesting. So I'm really excited that you're here and that you could talk about your experiences. Woohoo! Yes, let's do it. <laughs> All right, let's get right to it. So what got you started in music in the first place? Well, I come from a family of musicians. My parents are both musicians, not professionally, but uh, music is very important to them. And so really at the age of nine, I was handed an oboe and said, you will become an oboist. <laughs> um, you know, really, they thought I was going to you know, play an instrument, but I, I think that they really wanted to choose an instrument for me. And they actually also chose instruments for my brothers as well and so yeah nine I was like this is cool what's an oboe let's let's check this out and my <laughs> house was filled with music my parents were always listening to classical music and they started me on private lessons when I was nine and wow. I'm saying now that's a really strange thing <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah for sure so yeah. Yeah, I was, um, I was kind of hooked because it was fun and it came pretty easily to me. And so it was a lot of fun and, uh, and I, but I, I also did not like practice. So it's kind of this strange thing where I would, you know, have to fill out these practice logs for my teacher, but I remember just filling them out and not really doing the work and, but somehow I still just kept having fun and kept getting better. And pretty soon they got me a new teacher when I was about eighth grade, because I think they felt like I needed a little bit of a change. But uh, that new teacher was Ray Still, uh, who was the former principal oboist of the Chicago Symphony, um, because we were in Chicago at the time. And so that was a transformative year because all of a sudden I took notice to this could be a job, this could be a career, and I had to start getting serious. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's excellent. I'm just 
glancing over your bio um, before this interview and just reading all of the amazing things you've done as an oboist, even, even before you got into um, the arts management field. So you got your bachelor's from Eastman. You moved on to Rice University. You've performed with Lucerne Academy Orchestra, NRO, New World Symphony, and Alarm Will Sound, and all these other amazing ensembles. So you obviously had a very prolific career as an oboist and then you sort of transition into this arts management field so can you talk a little bit about what that transition was like for you while you were going through college and those sorts of degrees well as I showed up to Eastman I wanted to be an orchestral oboist that was my plan because I think now looking back that's all I thought I was good that that, I thought that was the only option Mm -hmm. and Eastman was phenomenal for me and I'm so glad to know that you're there as well it was just an opportunity for four years for me just to explore and my teacher Dr. Kilmer who is just amazing let me explore and so he let me arrange I wanted to arrange um, pieces for the double read holiday concert and conduct it he said fine let's do it and you know just went from there and I just kind of had this opportunity to while I didn't realize you know practice my production skills uh, really my leadership and teamwork skills and so I finished undergrad, went to Rice. I was still on the path to become an oboist and win a job in an orchestra. But really now graduation was two years away and I started feeling the pressure. And all my friends and I were starting to take auditions and I was advancing and uh, you know, it was, but I was becoming, I was, I was becoming serious and I had, and so I was a little bit confused, a little bit unsure if that was what I wanted to do but I didn't know what my options were. Pretty soon uh, graduation came and went. And thankfully, while I was still at Rice, just previous to that, I had this opportunity where I was the director of a chamber music series for kids. And it was such an amazing opportunity to kind of exercise all those parts of me. So I said, well, maybe I'll try this education thing. And I didn't really know what that meant, but maybe there's a job creating concerts for kids. And so the turning point for me was I had no job. I graduated with my master's. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I applied for all the education internships at the Kennedy Center. My parents lived in Maryland and I was going to live in their house for a couple months. Mm -hmm. And in that process, the Kennedy Center offered me an internship in operations at the National Symphony. And I thought, wow, this is great. I got an internship. It's the National Symphony. What the heck is operations? (laughs) (laughs) So I really had no clue that there were as many people off the stage working to make it possible for the orchestra on the stage. And that opened my eyes to this whole new world. I finished the internship. And from there, I moved to Pittsburgh. I got a part-time job as operations assistant at the Pittsburgh Symphony because it was kind of this new desk job that I just found out about. And I was like, well, great. I want to go to Pittsburgh. I had family there. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do this part-time operations thing, start my oboe studio, us oboists also start our read-making businesses, freelance. (laughs) And I thought, this is great. I'm making it happen. And in two months, uh, someone left the department at the operation at operations at Pittsburgh Symphony, and they offered me full time. And so that was a crossroads. Again, I found myself at this crossroads where I knew as an adult, I was supposed to have a job with salary and benefits, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I knew it also meant the oboe was going to have to take, you know, 
a, a break because yeah. uh, it seemed like it was going to be a very demanding job, but I took the job and it was, that was, that was how I got onto that path of operations. But that began my realization that I had no idea what I was doing. I was very, very um, unsure without my oboe in my hands. And there were many lessons that I was going to learn. Yeah, for sure. And you did bring up the interesting point of when you entered college, you, you know, you wanted to be an orchestra musician, you were an oboist, you felt like that was the one path for you as an oboist. And I feel like a lot of us when we enter music school have kind of the same perception. I think a lot of us um, think that there are very few options out there in music until we get into a college or whatever, we start to really explore and we realize that there are all these different careers out there. I mean, for me personally, entering college, I was like, okay, performance, ed, cool. That's all there is in music. You know, I mean, I obviously knew that there were composers and conductors and that sort of thing. But for me, it was like one or the other. And I wasn't aware of all these careers that were out there. And so I, I think um, part of your work, I know, is that you do a lot of leadership and mentoring and that sort of thing for people that want to go into a career like yours. And I think that's so important, especially for young folks that have no idea that these jobs exist out there and that there are careers in this sort of field. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> um, I, you know, at 25, I felt like I was starting over. Mm -hmm. I'd say I, I love my op, my career in operations, which is a career I didn't know existed till after grad school. And so over the last few years, I just have become completely committed to spreading this awareness of the careers off the stage that we need musicians that maybe don't want to seek a performance path, but it is my oboist self that informs my ability to do my job well. Yeah. And, and so I guess, you know, I am so committed to letting people know because the other thing I've encountered are students that maybe realize performance isn't for them, but then they don't know what to do. And it's a, it's a real point of desperation. And, and um, where this journey for me started, shepherding and mentoring like students was um, one of my professors at Rice a couple years into my career gave me a call one day and said hey I have this student it's a master's performance student who's been diagnosed with a crippling disorder and will not play professionally can you talk to her because she seems really really interested in, in arts administration I said yeah let's talk mm -hmm. and that was a really defining moment for my why, my mission behind this is because I would hate for anyone to reach a point of desperation or thinking they're out of options when clearly we just mentioned that there's so many options out there. So I'm just trying to boost awareness and then also help people understand what they already are equipped with, but also the lessons that they might need to be thinking about learning now so they're better equipped when they, when they enter that first job. Yeah, exactly. And so to offer some further clarification for folks that may be interested in pursuing a job like yours, can you talk a little bit about some of your job responsibilities and some of the things that you did in orchestra operations for orchestras like Pittsburgh and Nashville and that sort of thing? Absolutely. Uh, at an orchestra the size of Pittsburgh or Nashville, there's an entire operations department, mm -hmm. and we are tasked with concert production, which is the actual logistics of putting on the concert on the stage. 
caring for the musicians, supporting them as individuals, uh, communicating all the information they need to do their job. There's also an element of the collective bargaining agreement or the union contract with the musicians, knowing it, negotiating it, enforcing it, supporting it. And also with the other contracts that we deal with are recordings and how to capture and share and distribute performances of the orchestra. And so a lot of my work started from the just, how many chairs do we need? How many stands do we need? What's the setup for Mahler two on the stage? What do I need to tell the stage hands to do? Oh no, we need to rent Wagner tubas. And so there's all the kind of just equipment logistics. Um, but really what I learned, well, what I, what became apparent and I'm still learning is that my role is working with people. And that was the hardest part and continues to be the challenge, challenging part is really supporting these musicians in the way that uh, honors what they bring to the table, um, respects what they need to do their job, and then also brings them into an awareness of what the organization is, is and what they're trying to accomplish as a whole. And um, so it's, it's a lot, but I, I like to be backstage. My job is often at a desk Monday through Friday, nine to five, except when the musicians are in the building because my office has also always been at a concert hall, which I realize is another strange thing that not most <laughs> people get to have. But when the musicians are there for rehearsals, I go downstairs backstage and check in with them, check in with my stage uh, crew, make sure everything's good to go. And once I hear that tuning A, I can go back up to my desk and jump into planning meetings or just preparing things for this season or two seasons ahead. There's a lot of long-term planning that I get to do. Um, but I, I like to say that my superpowers are timelines, checklists, and calendars. So if your brain thinks that way <laughs> and you're naturally inclined to like organize things, uh, you might be well-suited for operations. Yeah, that's excellent. Oh, yeah, that's how my brain thinks all the time. I operate on to-do lists. Are you kidding? I, I think I write multiple to-do lists a day, and then I, like, forget about the original one that I wrote at the beginning of the day. I just operate that way. I'm always writing these down. So, yeah, that's really awesome. So you're currently the vice president of operations at Nashville Symphony. So you worked at Pittsburgh for a while and moved over to Nashville. You had talked about um, mentoring those that are interested in orchestra careers. So how do you use the position that you have right now to mentor those that may be interested in getting into um, a career involved with the orchestra? Well, the best way I can do it is, well, the most natural way is to have an internship and to have an mm -hmm. intern. And I've had probably 25 interns over the course of my 15 year career in operations. And I have a soft spot for internships because that's how I got my shift and how I got onto this path. And, and, you know, there really is no one way to get a job at an orchestra off the stage. I mean, there's just people come from all different angles and walks of life and some are musicians and some are not. And so I think that hands-on experience and just being ready to, I guess, open up my world to students either through an internship or then I started to realize that high school students or college students just wanted to do a job shadow. And so what wow. I started doing is just saying, hey, yeah, high school junior band student, you want to see what happens? Come follow me around for a concert. And we'd talk about, you know, what to expect and, you know, how to stay, how we stay out of the way of the musicians with their expensive instruments and things. Um, <laughs> but, 
you know, it never failed that by the end of this four hour night where we got to just talk and walk and see all the things behind the scenes, their eyes were wide open. Just, I had no idea. And I, there's something about that moment, that kind of light bulb moment that I get to see in students that it's, it's wow. I didn't realize I could see myself doing this. And then that's when our work can really begin. Um, And then the next way I, I got to to kind of grow that to impact, I, I would say more people at one time is I became an adjunct instructor and it was, it ended up only being for one semester, but at Belmont here in Nashville, their Curb College of, for Music Business, which is commercial music business here in Music City was looking to expose their students to the arts. And so they had a business of music theater course. And I said, well, why don't you have a business of orchestra course? They said, well, why don't you create it? I said, I'd be happy to. (laughs) And so that was a a tremendous experience. Um, And really the way I, I modeled my class for these 11 students was to bring over the Nashville Symphony department by department, one class at a time, and show them the people that work at the symphony, have the, my friends, my colleagues tell their story, how they got on the path. And, you know, we built, built all the pieces together and they got to meet all the departments and talk about the behind the scenes. And then I brought them to a concert about 70% of the way through the semester. And that was a really incredible experience because a lot of the students in my class actually weren't classical musicians. And some of them had never seen a live orchestra before, which Uh, me realizing that there's like 19 and 20 year olds out there that may have never sat in an orchestra concert, you know, is I I still, I just considered an honor to have brought them to their first one. And uh, it was really tremendous, but even more so, I think that they just gained a real appreciation for the symphony orchestra and they also saw the possibility that they could too contribute to it and there was one student in particular who it was a musician but a more of a commercial musician and she was she was just a phenomenal student and a leader and she had never considered working for an orchestra before as an option and she was a senior and graduating and now she works for an orchestra because of that wow. so i just take the op- the i take it as a sense of duty to number 1 just make sure people these students understand that there's a lot of options that are might be a better fit for them so they can feel that they belong somewhere in our industry mm-hmm. and number 2 that they're equipped and there's things we all have to learn that school's not going to teach us but also in my position at the Nashville Symphony um, i've got experience i've got access i you know i just I feel that I did not get to where I am by myself. I only a couple of years ago realized the immense privilege that I enjoy in my life. And that is part of what, where I think my sense of duty now comes is the experience, the access, and just all the people that have helped me get to where I am. I am going to freely donate my time and be ready as much as I can to help students so that they can get to their dream job too. Yeah, that's excellent. You made so many great points and a couple of things I want to touch on. One of them is allowing younger people to just come in and even just shadow you for a day is enough in and of itself to kind of break down those barriers that we were talking before where people are like, what is orchestra operations? What is arts management? How do I get there? What is this path? And it's breaking down that sort of 
sense of, you know, mystery about what goes on behind the scenes and you're bringing kids in there and then they could see, oh, wow, like I could do this. And then another thing that you brought up was this idea of students kind of seeing themselves reflected in the profession as well. And I think a great way that we can make orchestras and other organizations in classical music more diverse is by being a little more open with what happens behind the scenes. Here's how we do this. Here's how we do that. And bringing that to as many different students as possible, as many different types of people as possible, you know, because orchestras have historically had these barriers and these gates that has kept certain people out of them. Right. And so we're creating a place where anybody could feel like, oh, I could go work for an orchestra. I could do this. I could do that without creating those barriers, creating that access for everyone like you were talking about. Yes. And one of the things I would do when I bring my colleagues to class or now with orchestracareers.com, which I, I would love to tell you more about, I, I bring my colleagues from across the nation well, you know, a few at a time is I have, I, I ask if they'll tell their story because it's not just, you know, I think it's sometimes a, a big leap for someone to even imagine themselves as the, you know, VP of operations at the Nashville Symphony. But if they knew I was this 15 year old oboist who like in high school, like I went to band, I went to orchestra, I ran cross country, you know, like if they knew, if they see some sort of alignment or they see themselves in some earlier part of my story, then where I got to doesn't seem so, you know, maybe so far of a leap. Um, and so I really encourage my friends in the industry to share their whole story. And I, that's why I feel actually really drawn to what you're doing because there's a thread that could be much earlier in our stories that that is might be where people connect uh, and then they can see the trajectory that they could be on as well. Yeah. And there, I actually do have a lot of young people that do follow the podcast that do listen. A lot of people in high school, a lot of people early in their college careers that have said that this has been really beneficial for them just to talk, to listen to me, talk to people about their early life and what got them where and how did they do it? And that sort of thing. So it's kind of like disassembling that sense of taboo that happens, right? Of trying to figure out, oh, well, this person got just from point A to point Z, what happened through all the letters in between. So that is a, a really good point that, that, that we are trying to sort of break down that sense of, you know, again, mystery of what happens in someone's career. Because again, everybody does have a different path that they get to um, in order to feel like, hey, I'm successful. This is my career now. I found my place. And so I do want to talk about orchestra careers because you did mention that you are the founder and the lead coach of this resource, which I think is fabulous. So orchestra careers is a community um, where professionals and students can gather to build relationships that equip and challenge each other right off the website. So can you talk a little bit about what inspired you to establish this resource for everyone and what the, you know, sort of mission of it is? Well, it's a, it was about three years in the making for me to finally figure out kind of an outlet for what I wanted to do. But the, the inspiration was in 2017, I got into the League of American Orchestras Emerging Leader Program, which is like a 10 month cohort. And one of the first convenings, I thought it was going to be this kind of, now I'll get to learn how to be an executive director. You know, I'll just, I just, I, I had different expectations than what it turned out to be, but it turned out to be life-changing. And they asked simply, what will be your contribution to the orchestral industry? 
in the first session. And I was stunned by that question because I just felt, you know, like this small, you know, just, I just felt like such a small part of this big industry. But my answer came quickly. It was, I wanna equip students better than I was. And I want them to know about the careers available. But I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to, you know, I just had this, this desire. So I started um, on this path of just interviewing the students that I knew and friends that I, that were now professionals that I had as interns, just saying, you know, where are those gaps in, in what you learned in school? What, between what you learned in school and what you needed to know for your job, you know, just trying to find where's the need. Cause I didn't want to create something that wasn't relevant. And uh, so pretty soon that actually led me to the Belmont class that we talked about. And I created that class and then I didn't have an opportunity to teach that class again. And that was coming into um, summer, summer of 2019. I said, well, let me see if I can do something like this class that I just taught on my own. And so I was kind of thinking, well, maybe I'll create YouTube videos. I was going to shift towards social media. And then I created orchestracareers.com, kind of just not knowing exactly what it was going to turn into other than I wanted to just give some behind the scenes and share what I knew about how orchestras work and maybe just highlight the jobs available through social media. And then we all know what happened in March of 2020 and the pandemic hit and I had already begun, you know, doing some more YouTube videos and things, but I was starting to think of our music students and myself as a music student and, and what I would have felt seeing the headlines as orchestras were shutting down and jobs were being lost and, you know, these dreams that these students had, you know, probably dissolving before their, their, before themselves, you know, and, and I wanted to give them hope and encouragement. And I probably secretly needed to give myself hope and encouragement too. So why simply in uh, just, you know, I guess it was six months ago now, in August of 2020, started doing Saturday Zoom discussions. And I thought, you know what, let's just talk about what everybody needs to talk about these days. And I grabbed a couple of my friends and I had some students that were kind of in my circle. I said, let's just meet up and I'll, I'll let's talk about how to get stuff done. And then we were going to talk about the next time what to do when things go wrong. And as I started promoting these sessions and they're, they're free and you could register, I started seeing my colleagues show up too. And so it was kind of this just evolution of as I was getting students together to help them, you know, our professional, my professional friends were showing up and we were having these phenomenal conversations that really, honestly, what, what I loved about it is we were all equals in that room. And one of the things, one of the reasons I, I love pouring into students is because the only thing between difference, the only difference between a student and a professional is a graduation date. And so I honestly just see these students as my colleagues already. They're just a couple months or years away from having a piece of paper in their hand. So, ah. um, you know, I really just am so appreciative of my colleagues in the industry that have joined me for these sessions because as we kept going and with topics, uh, we did how to build a network, how to prepare for interviews. We did a whole grad school review panel, which is, uh, which was phenomenal. Uh, Cause I get that question a lot. Should I go to grad school? And I came and as we were all reflecting this last December, you know, on the crazy year we had just lived through, 
I realized before my eyes, this community was forming. People kept, the same people kept showing up, new people kept showing up. They kept, they, they were starting to spread the word, but there seemed to be this need to just come together. And so as we were tipping into just 2021, I was like, that is what I'm going to lean into. I want to create a safe and welcoming place for students and professionals just to come together. And so we can talk about the topics we both care about. And so that students can start to form relationships with these professionals. And I always prompt my peers, if they're going to join me, be ready to drop your email address in the chat because this is not just to show up and be a guest panelist. This is a show to show up and say, I'm ready for any of student that comes to contact me and follow up and talk more. Yeah, and that's so excellent. I love how you were able to create this resource that is helping so many. And I also wanna bring up, just go back to your point about like the only difference between these students and professionals is a sheet of paper. And I feel like a lot of us forget about that, especially when we're students, we're kind of like, oh, professional knows everything. They must, they are like this all knowing person. They're above us, blah, blah, blah. But I really love that you created the sense of community and you have that perception of, hey, the only difference is they didn't get the degree yet. They didn't get the sheet of paper, but that doesn't mean that their skills and their experiences are any less of value. So I really love that point that you brought up there and how you're creating such a welcoming environment for all these people. It's awesome. Well, thank you. And I would say that, you know, I'm gaining friends in the process and yeah. it's, I learned from, there's not one intern I haven't learned something from or not one student that I've learned something from. And so I think it would be a real loss for me not to approach it that way. And I, honestly, it probably wouldn't be continuing because I just, I need them as probably more, they probably don't realize that I need them as much as they might think they need, you know, this mentorship. Um, but I, I really value those relationships and um, I don't know, maybe it's just, I, I still feel like a college student. <laughs> it's, I, I'm almost 40 and I, you know, sometimes I just feel like I'm still 19 or 20. So uh, I just, I, it, it comes easily to me to relate well with that age. Yeah, I think that's amazing that you, you have, again, created that community of people that are so passionate about everything that they do and they're so willing to help others. And like you said, you know, you had the same people return, but you also had some new folks join you. And I think that's amazing that you've created that community. I think everybody should go check out orchestracareers.com. Um, it is a great resource. They have, they post jobs on there. There's articles, there's ways to subscribe to their newsletter, things like that, provide information, become a part of that community. And I think that's really awesome that you're doing that and you've created that because I don't see that happening really anywhere else. I think that is, you know, that sole resource that a lot of people need for sure. Well, definitely you. a need for it. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. Um, and I, and I want to ask because we, you had mentioned the pandemic when you were talking, um, how you were creating orchestra careers and then the pandemic happened and everything. And so as a person that works in orchestra operations, when we're thinking ahead to, you know, now we got a vaccine out somewhat with that. And like, we're kind of seeing this like horizon now of things starting to get better. Um, how do you think, do you think orchestras are going to change how they operate? Now, because of the pandemic, what do you think is going to stay the same? What do you think may be different? That is a great question. Uh, 
I, I would be surprised if not every person in our industry was shaken to the core, you yeah. know, um, yeah, for sure. 20, uh, you know, it's, it felt an, an ex- existential crisis in a lot of ways. And we were particularly hit hard at the Nashville symphony. Um, we ended up having to furlough the entire orchestra, which is 83 musicians and 50 of our staff, full-time staff. And of course there were already hundreds of part-time staff that lost their work when concerts got canceled. Um, so it was very devastating, but I was one of 19 people that stayed on and kept our jobs in the, in the interim to try to figure out some of those questions. And the, the great thing is that um, we're really looking at everything. And, 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 a, and I think with humility, you have to consider what, what is broken, what is not, and what do we need, what are these things that we really need to fix moving forward that we've been trying to work hard on, but we didn't have the time or opportunity. And I think that orchestras need to and want to, and now have the opportunity to figure out how to become more for their community of their community. It's gonna take a while for us to continue to look more like our community. Um, But I think orchestras are really taking a hard look at their priorities. And I mean, first and foremost, we know that music is an amazing force for humans to connect. And I think that we are all feeling that absence of live performance. And so I think it affirms that that is needed, but there's also, we have to take that role so seriously that we are for the community because it's going to be, it, it, it makes the art richer. It makes the art better. It makes it more, you know, the more connected we can be, the more meaningful we're going to be um, to each other. And so all that to say, what we're doing right now is we are baby stepping our way back into creating uh, some content with our musicians over the next few months. We are months and months before we'll welcome an audience into the, the, concert hall, I think, but yeah, thankfully through virtual uh, means, you know, we can connect with our audiences much sooner than that. And we're now just trying to think through, okay, what does our season in September look like that we're going to start? I mean, there's, uh, you know, who, who, any, anybody's guess as to when we won't have to socially distance anymore. Um, (laughs) True. But, uh, you know, you think about it, an orchestra is going to have to socially distance until the vaccine's widely distributed and we don't have to socially distance even with partial, you know, vaccination. Um, Audiences are going to have to socially distance. And so what that does, if you can only have 30 musicians on the stage where you normally could have 90, (laughs) And you can only have 500 um, audience members where you could have 1800. You have to really take a step back and think about the programming and think about what's, what is, if you have to now pick and choose, how are you going to come out of the gate? You know, who are you going to represent? And there's a lot of opportunity. It's a huge challenge, but I truly believe that orchestras are needed in our communities and, um, we're going to work hard to get back and probably be pretty transformed in the, in the process. 
Yeah, I completely agree. It will be some time for sure. I mean, I know I'm I'm a 712 band director, so I have a middle school band and a high school band. Mm. And even just fitting, trying to fit the kids in the band room socially distanced because we're having to fit the kids like 12 feet apart was a nightmare in and of itself. And having to go down to a smaller class sizes and not having full instrumentation and all those things that you know, we never expected to have to struggle with. Now we are struggling with. So I completely understand um, where where any large ensemble is coming from and trying to figure those things out. COVID aside, a lot of um, what we've experienced in 2020 was a lot of civil rights issues with the Black Lives Matter movement and other things like that. And so as a person that is involved in the behind the scenes, and I know you're not necessarily maybe the person that chooses all the repertoire and what they're doing in a concert season, I know a lot of orchestras are really trying to push to start adding more new music and more diversity into their repertoire. So how do you think maybe your orchestra specifically, or orchestras in general, are going to try to accomplish that mission of promoting more new music and creating more diverse concert series? Well, yeah, we've been, I mean, I feel like our industry has been talking about this issue for a little, for a while, but I think now, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that there's even more urgency around it because I think, you know, it can't just be a one-off concert, you know, in MLK concert in, in January, or, you know, it needs to be integrated to every conversation that we have about the repertoire um, and, and all of our different offerings. And so we're definitely looking to do that even more. We had started to do that before the pandemic and we just need to, uh, we, we need to get back on the path and just in almost every, make it part of every conversation. And I think that's a beginning. Um, one um, really great program we have at the Nashville Symphony is this computer, uh, composer lab and workshop. And that is, uh, an opportunity for young composers to come and, I don't know how many submissions we got, like 200 submissions last time we did it. And there were five finalists and it was so awesome because it was such a great opportunity to see these young composers who are incredibly talented and it was so diverse. And we are putting, I believe that some of their pieces are getting on our subscription season. And that is, that is elevating those opportunities that we can offer into our main stage and not putting them on a side stage. You know, and so I think that that is one way our orchestras, and I'm seeing it here where I work, you know, we're able to kind of put it front and center and give that prime, almost like prime time location to these voices. Um, and so we've got a lot of work ahead of us. Um, I would say internally as an organization, we are really trying to center our discussions as well and just the work of equity, diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, a couple summers ago, the entire 70 person staff went through a two day anti-racism uh, workshop. And that was really incredible because now I feel like there's a lot of conversations that we can have where we have shared language and shared, you know, we're, we're becoming able to have a different lens to our work. So that process still needs to continue because you know you lose staff and then you bring on board more staff and of course we have the orchestra and, and the board and um, so it's an ongoing process but I think if we as orchestras can be having these conversations not 
on a certain date about a certain mm -hmm. initiative, but on in everything that we do. Um, that is how we have any hope of making little baby steps towards um, where we need to be. Yeah. And you do bring up a good point. We talk about this all the time on the show, but like that sense of tokenism that happens in February mm -hmm. of, oh, now it's Black History mm -hmm. Month. Now we're going to program Black composers or now we're going to program blah, blah, blah. And um, it should just be a regular part of anyone's programming, right? It should be as diverse as possible. So I, yeah, I do agree with you on that, that there, that's something that we definitely need to steer away from. I always wait until February 1st and then I see all these organizations go, oh, we're going to post all this stuff about Black composers. And now we're going to do this one concert of our season where we showcase Black composers. And yeah, I do agree with you that um, that is an issue that does occur. And I'm glad that um, orchestras are having these conversations and hopefully are turning them into action items as well. Yes, and I think the one last thing I'll say is we have to also be very careful, though, that we don't prescribe what the community needs. Mm. And the most important thing that we can do to direct our work with respect to community engagement and what we do is by listening to our communities. And um, so we're also starting to do, you know, the pandemic has made it very challenging to pick up those different conversations that we had started, but uh, we have a, that is how we can lead first in our work is by listening. Yeah. And, and, and then, then we'll be more aligned and more focused in, in where we put our efforts, because I think that we can't, the whole point is that we can't prescribe <laughs> what the solution is because um, there's a lot that isn't that isn't part of our story, but it's part of the communities. Yeah, and I agree. And a lot of orchestras and, you know, any sort of classical music organization, they always are discussing about how do we keep ourselves relevant? How do we keep ourselves alive? How do we keep ourselves engaged in the community? And one of the ways to do that is, yeah, listening to what they want, right? Um, that's how we make sure that we still have people coming in the door and coming to concerts. And you had mentioned earlier, you had 19, 20 year old students that have never been to a live orchestra concert. And that's a thing. I don't think I had plans to take my students to um, see the Rochester Philharmonic because I teach in the Rochester area um, last spring, like right before COVID happened. And for those kids, that was the first, not only live orchestra performance they've seen, but live classical music performance in general that they have seen. And I was just astounded because me and my privilege, you know, that was something that I, you know, got to see when I was in school and we made trips for it. And I remember in high school, I would go see the Eastman saxophone project with my high school band director because he's a saxophone player. He would take a bunch of us in his minivan and drive all the way to Rochester because I was from Buffalo. We would drive all the way there and go see the concert. And like, I didn't realize that that was like me sitting in my privilege of being able to attend concerts like that. And then I go and I teach in a Title I school district where these kids have never witnessed live music outside of their own immediate selves in their own band concerts. Um, so I think, yeah, just opening the doors to the community, providing those experiences. I think it's great, all the educational programs that a lot of American orchestras are doing now to involve more kids in the community are awesome. And I think we need even more of that. Yes, and one of my favorite things to do is to take the orchestra and go into the community. Mm -hmm. um, one thing to expect people to come to the concert hall, but um, you know, we do free outdoor concerts in the parks. Uh, it's a series that I help to manage. 
Um, and they're free and they're, we go all over the city. And I mean, I just, it, it is just about my most favorite thing in the whole wide world Yeah, <laughs> to see these families that are just enjoying, they feel, you know, hopefully we're giving them a sense of belonging that our orchestra is for them. And, you know, because we're coming to their neighborhood and, you know, I just, I think that orchestras are really seeing the value in that. And so many have been doing so much of that already, but for me, that is, that is a pretty, pretty important thing. And so I look forward to doing more of that once we can all gather again. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, you bring up that good point of going out into the community and doing these outdoor concerts and things, because like growing up, I went to see the Buffalo Philharmonic a lot, but it was really during the summers when they would do the outdoor concerts and like my family could afford to take us there. It was a free concert or something like that. And everybody was sitting on the lawn outside and um, even if it was just like a pops concert, that's where you're reaching a lot of people who wouldn't normally like go into the symphony orchestra hall and listen to a concert. Cleveland Orchestra does that every summer as well. Um, you know, they'll play. I, I remember being in college, like right before the semester would start and we would go to their concerts and they would be playing, I don't know, like John Williams concert or something like that. But like little kids love going to those concerts because they get to see like Star Wars on the screen and they get to hear an orchestra play it. And like, yeah, that may not be like the super stereotypical elitist orchestra thing, but that's how you're reaching the community and you're making classical music fun for kids and they love to be there and they love like watching the movie, like playing along with the orchestra and things like that. And it's just such a wholesome community building experience. But yeah, so I, I don't know. I just think that it is it is a great way to reach out to the community, like you said. Um, and yeah, I mean, those were even me being like a classically trained musician. Those were some of the most fun experiences that I had was going to outdoor concerts and things like that with my family growing up. So I think it's a really great thing that orchestras are doing. Totally agree. And I, you know, I, I can't wait for us to be able to do that again, because I, I, I have to think that, you know, even with all the internet and virtual streaming things, there are still, still barriers to all of that. And yeah. so I can't wait for us to have all the options available to us to go in person and, and, and do virtual because there's really been some great opportunities as, through that as well. Um, but just to keep pursuing and keep seeking the ways that we, like you said, stay relevant, but are meaningful and are, are meaningful in the ways that the community says is meaningful, not the ways that we dictate are meaningful. Absolutely. Um, Sonia, I want to thank you so much um, for coming on and sharing your experiences. I think everybody should go check out orchestracareers.com. It's an amazing resource if you don't know about it already. And yeah, Sonia, I want to thank you so much for coming on and with talking with us and sharing all of your experiences and your, your path in your life to your career. It's been great. Well, thank you so much for your time. And yeah, hey, email me or, or find me on social and uh, we'll talk more. I'd love yeah. to help any student find their best, best career. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much.